Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I, I think almost exactly a year ago, you and I were up in the middle of the night, probably the same time, talking about late coming results. <laughs> Let's not make a trend. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Maybe, maybe next year we'll be in the same place again. Who knows? I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I'm Scott Bland. I'm politics editor at Politico. Uh, and that means I stay up all night watching election results when, when we have them. <laughs> A very tired Scott Bland on some not very bland Virginia election results. So to get started... um. Glenn Youngkin, a Republican, is the next governor of Virginia. Are you surprised by this? No. We've been watching the polls over the last three weeks, really, kind of be moving steadily in this direction of of Youngkin potentially winning narrowly. You know, he 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 could easily have have lost as well. It wouldn't have shocked me if he had if he had lost narrowly. I think it's very easy to get like caught up in recent history in politics, right? And 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 to like convince yourself that um this hasn't happened for X years and so it can't happen. Uh you know, Glenn Youngkin's the first Republican to win statewide in Virginia since 2009. Uh and that that's a really long time and a lot has happened since then. And and I think maybe there were there were a lot of people who maybe had convinced themselves a little bit that that it couldn't happen, but you know, a parallel to 2009 is that's the last time we were in the first year of a democratic presidential administration. And this kind of thing has a tendency to happen. You see in in these odd year races kind of a backlash against the party in power fairly regularly. And there's something that just feels so inevitable about this at this point, you know, that every single, you know, election following a new president ends up being a backlash election at this point, just again and again and again, you get these very different characters in the White House, George W. Bush after 9-11 being kind of the, the the lone exception, the 2002 midterms. And Joe Biden and his team were so deeply aware of that as having been in the Obama administration, right? And watching watching what happened. That's kind of the main thing I'm I'm thinking about right now. For weeks, people watching this campaign have said that Youngkin winning would create a kind of blueprint for Republicans heading into the 2022 midterms. What exactly, from your perspective, is that blueprint? Like, how did Youngkin pull off this win and how transferable is that strategy really more broadly for the Republican Party? Yeah, I think there's a few different things, actually, that people are talking about when they they talk about Youngkin and and a blueprint. Um, one of them is the way he handled Trump. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of anxiety within the party, within the Republican Party, or within certain quarters of the Republican Party, at least, about uh, Trump and his continued unpopularity and his continued large role within the party. And so you see Glenn Youngkin running in a state that Trump lost by 10 points a year earlier, uh, accepted the president's endorsement, but also said, I want to, I want to do this my own way. I, I, you know, I don't want kind of like the national party, Trump included, flying in here and, and getting involved. I want to, I want to be the one talking. I want to talk about my stuff. So that's that's one thing. Now, the 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 second thing that I think people are talking about in terms of blueprint and what we could see in other Republican campaigns in twenty twenty two and beyond is what Youngkin focused on and what his issues were. One of them was education. 
Um, and he he spent a lot of time talking about kind of parental control in education. And this is against the backdrop, right, of the the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, school closures last year, uh, some of them continuing into uh, into the first half of 2021, um, masking in schools, but also school curricula and, and, and how they're changing, um, you know, how schools have been changing, how they teach about race and uh, some of the, the parent reaction that has been going into that. And so I think Republicans elsewhere are eager to latch on to that as well. Uh, I, those are really the two main things that stick out to me, Trump and that focus on on education. And with that focus on education, a, you know, a way of getting into the subject of racial anxiety that I think, you know, is kind of always features in, in politics in one way or another. And th- this is the current incarnation of that. It, it's always featured in, in American political campaigns for decades upon decades upon decades now. And this is kind of where we're seeing it play out at the moment. I want to talk about the real world effects of this race, both nationally and where it'll probably have the biggest effect in Virginia, because you had, you know, the Democratic candidate, Terry McAuliffe, saying a lot was on the line um, when you think about some of the changes Democrats have made in in power in the state, you know, saying that abortion rights and stuff are on the line. Um, what does a Governor Youngkin mean for Virginians? Some of that is going to take a little time to sort out because they're still figuring out. It looks at this moment like Republicans may have narrowly flipped the state house, but regardless, Democrats are still going to hold the state Senate by by a one seat margin. We're talking about very tight margins in terms of passing new laws for you know, Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin. And so that's going to naturally kind of restrict a little bit of what he can do. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the sort of situation where you're going to see uh, like Texas style abortion laws, for example. Uh, you know, I, w- I would expect given what his campaign focused so much on that, that Youngkin is going to want to spend a, a fair amount of time and energy and effort on education. Uh, right. And, um, you know, there are, there are parts of that where he, he potentially could, could try and reach across the aisle. He's talked about paying teachers more. But as as so often happens with these campaigns, right, you, you, you make a lot of promises. And then as we're seeing in Washington right now, right, um, that's going to run into the realities of, you know, okay, you arrive and you actually you don't have full control of government or you have like v- only the narrowest margins um, in, in terms of the, the legislative votes. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that's a I think that's a pretty interesting question. Obviously, like Youngkin ran a very successful campaign. It's going to be interesting to see how he translates that into governing. What about the national stage? We talked a bit earlier about the 2022 midterms. When you look at the political situation more broadly now at this stage in in President Biden's term in office with Democrats in control of both the House and the Senate, what does this outcome mean? Uh, This outcome means that, you know, like Democrats and their political brand are in trouble. You know, it's it's not a particularly like complicated calculus to explain, right? Joe Biden won Virginia by by 10 points a year ago. And Democrats lost the governor's race by what it's probably going to be around like two, three, something like that. So you you really don't have to stretch to see um, that that like the Democratic Party is in is in a tough uh, moment right now. And it's not just kind of concentrated in one place. You know, it seems like what we saw in Virginia, Virginia is the, the place where I've really looked at the results most closely. Um, you know, you, you had um, big turnout and Republican vote in a, a 
ton of smaller rural counties and even building beyond what what Donald Trump was able to do, uh, but then also cutting into the the Democratic margins and some of the like larger, growing, more diverse, uh, highly populated suburban counties where Democrats have made so much in, inroads in the past few years. So really, kind of like a broad based gains for for Republicans, um, and and so that obviously bodes ill at at this point for for Democrats in terms of the midterms. Now, a lot can change, right? We've seen uh, you know. President Biden's numbers have changed drastically over the last like six, seven weeks. Um, they've, they've, you know, gone gone down into into a, a bad place, which was a big problem for for Terry McAuliffe and Democrats in Virginia. You know, we don't really have historical precedents for this sort of thing, but who, who's who's to say? You know, they they couldn't rebound at some point over the next year. Um, but I think more broadly, like the the tricky thing for for Democrats right now is that they're the party in power in Washington, and there there's just this feeling of like tremendous anxiety still hanging over the nation. I think you know the the right track wrong track numbers. If you look at polls that ask that question, are are tilted very heavily toward wrong track. You know, I, I the the kind of lingering pandemic and all the anxieties that accompany that is is just like really unsettling uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I myself included, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not a very pleasant way to live. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that's tough right now to be the governing party and not be able to like soothe that. Scott Bland, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today... President Biden says he intends to announce his nominees to the Federal Reserve Board fairly quickly, but has declined to say whether he'll replace Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Speaking to reporters in Glasgow on Tuesday, Biden said he'd given a lot of thought to the decision and dismissed suggestions that his administration has been slow to pick officials to run the central bank. Biden must soon decide whether to renominate Powell a Republican Trump appointee whose term as chair expires in early February, will replace him with someone else. And Senator Josh Hawley is blocking the swift confirmation of several State Department nominees. On Tuesday, the Missouri Republican, who has previously said he would hold up Biden's national security nominees over his misgivings about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, objected to eight of the nine nominations that Democrats sought to unanimously approve, saying he was doing so on behalf of himself as well as some of his GOP colleagues who had separate objections. The move marks a continuation of an unprecedented GOP-led campaign to slow walk most of President Biden's picks for top foreign policy posts. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Playbook Deep Dive and Global Insider. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.